please be aware that this episode contains some minor microphone issues that were unfortunately unable to be edited out. So um, apologies for that. Okay, welcome back to another episode of Us Anxious Folk. I am here with a lovely lady who I've actually known for a long time via Instagram, but this is our first video meeting. I'm here with Ashley from California. Hello, Ashley. Hi. Hi. (laughs) It was really funny. I actually knew you on um, Instagram for years. And then I remember I spoke to you through another outlet and I I didn't connect that it was the same person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I remember I like told you, hey, this is Journey Through Fear. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. So Ashley has... um, such a great um, Instagram account. It is called Journey Through Fear, as she just said, and we'll link it in the show notes. But um, I've been following you for years and I've I've constantly drawn inspiration from your posts and, you know, your insights. And it's I I was just going through it just before and it's amazing to to follow your journey over the years and, and see how how much you've grown and how many things you've done that you didn't think you were going to be able to do. It's really cool. It's, it's mind blowing when I look back on my journey and just to think about everything I've gone through and where I'm at now. And there were so many times where I never thought that I'd get to this level of functioning because (laughs) of how bad it was. Hmm. So I'm just really grateful. And um, I've been really bad at my Instagram lately. I've been uh, not updating it. Life, you know, when you're not focusing on anxiety and not experiencing anxiety anymore, it's sometimes it's hard for me to go back onto my anxiety Instagram. Yes. um, Because I'm just not thinking about it as much. Mm -hmm. Um, But as I start like my professional life and everything, I would like to build back up build it back up again yeah yeah it's I I feel you on that I sometimes feel like I'm having trouble revisiting that stage of my life but it's also so nice to to have it as a reference point yeah oh definitely yeah so um tell me let's let's go to the start tell me your anxiety story Okay. I like literally before we started, I wrote like a a timeline just so I could wrap my head around it because I'm 32 this year and it started when I was a kid. Like I always had, I had separation anxiety, Um, like going to school was really hard for me. Um, I didn't want to leave my parents. I would cry on the first day of school, like all the way up till fourth grade. Like I definitely had a low level of anxiety growing up. Hmm. Um, And then I had, um, uh, I lived in a household that was really chaotic and um, I had an abusive parent and that skyrocketed my anxiety. And that really happened in high school. And then pair it with my first love and my first breakup. And it was all bad. Um, But when 
agoraphobia really and like panic disorder really set in was actually the first time I moved away from home um, when I was 19. So that was like 2019. And um, I was going down the freeway. I was going to, it was my first time living away from home, going to work full time, um, going to school full time. So my first time in college. And um, I was driving down the freeway, rushing home. And I got, my heart started beating really fast. I got dizzy. I got hot. I was sweating. And I didn't know what it was. Hmm. And um, I quickly pulled off the freeway and my sisters lived near me. So I went to their house and, um, and I called my parents and... They, you know, didn't know what it was. My sister took me to the emergency room and, you know, because I said like my heart was beating and like I was having chest pain, they took me in really quick. And, um, they did mention, I think they mentioned stress, but not anxiety while I was at the emergency room. So that was kind of like instantly the next day I didn't want to drive. It was so weird. It was like agoraphobia set in immediately. Mm. I didn't want to do anything by myself. I was afraid I was going to just, this was going to happen again. I was going to drop dead. No one was going to be there to help me. Yeah. And that's when avoidance started. You know, my sister started taking me to work, driving me. Um, I had tried a couple times, but I'd literally pull over and get stuck and have her come pick me up. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really awful. So I quit my job. I finished up school and moved back home immediately. And, um, you know, I didn't go to therapy. Like I never figured out what this was. Mm -hmm. I feel like I had an idea that it was anxiety, but I never figured out you know, I didn't know agoraphobia or panic disorder. And, um, I just kind of went back home and went back to my old life and like slowly started to get better. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then the next year, like I was, you know, functioning pretty well, but not like doing a bunch of stuff by myself or traveling far or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, The next year I moved away with my boyfriend and that went well. And then um, a few months later we actually ended up moving across the country and I was like really nervous for that. It was an eight hour flight by myself. Um, but I did it and I volunteered while I was there there, and I started school and everything was going really well. Mm -hmm. And then it was like the end of 2011 and I got really depressed because I was across the country from my family and friends and my boyfriend was working all the time. And, um, I started having anxiety attacks at school and, um, And then it got to the stage where I couldn't leave our apartment. And so that started in like 
November, 2011. Mm -hmm. And, um, so my husband and I flew back to California for, or he was my boyfriend. Then we flew back to California for, um, Christmas and I decided that I couldn't go back. Um, I cried that entire flight and a layover. I almost didn't get back on the flight. And, um, that was the first time I went to IOP intensive outpatient program. Have you been to one of those? I haven't. No. Okay. Do you know what that is? I, I mean, is it, um, sort of a more intense therapy than like just going to a regular therapist? I guess it pretty makes makes sense. Intensive outpatient program. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a specialized program usually for like your specific mental health needs mm-hmm. um, in a group and individual format. And it's usually like three to four times a week for like three hours mm-hmm. at a time. Um, so it's so, the step before inpatient, right? Correct. Okay. And so I went to that. And, um, I got on Lexapro Mm -hmm. and literally within a month I was back to fully functioning again. Mm -hmm. Um, I really credit the Lexapro for that just because the IOP was like very general. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think also just having a schedule again, taking myself to the IOP. So having to do that exposure of driving, I think that really helped. Um, would you say being in the group kind of contributed as well? Yeah. Yeah. Being in the group, hearing other people's struggles, Mm -hmm. having a name, like that's when I was diagnosed with panic disorder and agoraphobia and just like knowing more about my diagnosis and everything Mm -hmm. helped. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I was actually able to move back to Maine and, um, and, but then my husband got a job in California like a month later. And so we moved back. <laughs> yeah. Which was really great because we did not want to be there. Yeah. Um, but so we moved back like, you know, so agoraphobia really started in 2019. And then I got better and then it came back again. And then I got better. And then it was 2012. I moved back to California and um, I was doing really well, went to school, went to work. And then in 2014, I got married. I went to Mexico um, and I did, I was doing really well. There were still things that would like, that I still avoided and didn't like, but it was functional. Yeah. And it wasn't until 15, 2015, I tried to wean off my Lexapro and I took a couple months and it was like a week after my last dose, I just full force agoraphobia Hmm. once again. Mm -hmm. It's just so crazy. I don't know if you've experienced that, like experienced it this way, but my it went from like panic to agoraphobia overnight. It was almost like they went hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel that way with yours? Yeah. It it was like my world just it was gradually getting smaller, but then one day it just like it was I couldn't leave. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's it's crazy how quick it comes on. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I immediately got back on Lexapro, but it just it it wasn't it wasn't helping the same. Mm. So I decided to take this really big step, quitting my job and going to a residential treatment center. And, um, you know, these places are really expensive. And um, I thought that it was going to be like my healing, like this was going to fix everything. I was able to get a scholarship and my insurance paid for a lot of it. And then they scholarshiped like it was ridiculous, like the 15 grand that my insurance didn't cover. Wow. Um, So I barely paid anything. And um, it was in Malibu and it was a nice treatment center, but it definitely was not what I was expecting. Hmm. Um, I thought I was going to get like a bunch of wellness classes each day and psychiatry and a therapy appointment every day of the week. Um, I thought there was, it was just going to be super healing and it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a lot of like drama in the home with the, with the clients and you got like two or three classes a day therapy once a week. Like it just was not, not what I expected at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I, so like I said, I quit my job and I had taken a leave that year from my job, but I returned And then I quit my job to go to the treatment center. So I was, I had, I was having panic attacks, had high anxiety, but I wasn't agoraphobic at this point. I went to treatment for a week and my anxiety was getting worse and worse. So I decided this place isn't good for me. Like I was feeling super homesick. I was very, had a hard time being away from home. So I go back home and I was probably the most agoraphobic I had ever been. Hmm. Um, Usually my agoraphobia, like I was okay with leaving the house with my husband. And even though I'd still have anxiety, like I was, I could do it. When I got back from Malibu, I had a hard time just walking out the front door, Um, just getting into the car with my husband, who's my safe person. Um, I didn't even want him to leave me home alone. Yeah. And like I was at the worst of the worst. Yeah. And that was um, that was in at the end of 2015 and into 2016. It was about when our paths crossed, I think. <laughs> yeah. So I started Journey Through Fear – Right before I went into the residential treatment center, it was like I weaned off Flexapro, anxiety came back, and I was like, I'm gonna have, I need, I wanna document this, I wanna have an outlet, and I wanna meet other people that are struggling with this. Mm. Um, So coming back, yeah, from Malibu, I just, I was so upset. Like, here I left thinking I'm going to come back a totally changed, healed person. Yep. And I came back totally agoraphobic. Yeah. So your distress levels uh-huh. within yourself would have been so high. Yeah, it was, it was awful. Um, 
And let's see. So that was, yeah. So then in January, so after quitting my job, I also decided I was going to go back to school full time um, to get my bachelor's degree. I already had my associate's. And so that's kind of what I did. Like I, because of the agoraphobia and having a hard time leaving home, I decided I'm going to do online school so that I feel like I'm doing something Mm. while I can't leave my house. Um, So I did online school, got a degree in sociology and psychology. And um, then there was a point during that where I went to IOP again, a different one, but close by. Um, that one focused on acceptance, wait, ACT. Uh, acceptance and commitment therapy. Acceptance and commitment therapy. Yeah. And um, that one was hard for me. Um, acceptance and commitment therapy was really hard for me. Just they really taught to just kind of like sit with the anxiety and don't do anything. And I'd be the like. opposite of what you want to do. <laughs> Yeah. So we would, we would go, we do exposures together. So I'd go to the, like one of them was waiting in line. So we went to Starbucks, we were standing in line and she'd be like, how anxious are you? And I'm like, I'm a six. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And she's like, you do nothing. And I was like, I need to do something. <laughs> no, no, you're not, you're not going to do anything. And it was just like, I would just get mad. Cause I'd be like, this isn't doing anything. Like I need to do something. Mm. Um, so I graduated from that. I think it was like, I was in it for like three months. The most helpful part was that I had to drive an hour and a half to get there. Mm -hmm. So my husband, who's the most supportive person I could ever ask for, I would go to his work. The minute he got off work, he'd get in the car And we would drive the hour and a half to the IOP. He'd wait for me for three hours while I was in it. And then I would get back in the car and we'd drive back. Wow. Me driving that was major exposure for me. Mm. And that helped me just getting out of the house, doing that drive. Like that was a great exposure therapy for me. Um, And then I started making my own charts, which I... I believe I show on journey on my Instagram. Um, and I started making exposure therapy charts. Um, I had one for driving. I had one for like going to the grocery store, like just activities. And then I had one for my blood sugar because I was obsessed with checking my blood sugar because I was always in fear that it was low and I was going to pass out. Mm-hmm. Um, I passed out when I was a kid and they told me that it was cause I hadn't eaten that day and my blood sugar was low. And then my mom and aunt were like, oh yeah, we have low blood sugar. We have to like make sure we eat every couple hours. Yeah. And then I became obsessed with it. Yeah. So that planted that seed in your head. Yes. And when I was going through my anxiety journey, the doctor told me, well, you should get a, a glucose monitor so that you can see if you're having an anxiety attack or if your blood sugar is low. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. And that started my obsession with checking my blood sugar. Mm-hmm. And I'd say 
And it has been low. Like I've seen it low several times, but I would say 90 to 95% of the time it's normal and I'm anxious. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm feeling like shit. Mm. So, um, so I had a exposure for, um, my blood sugar. When I was at my worst after Malibu, after the treatment center, I would, for, it was about two weeks, I would check my blood sugar every 30 minutes to an hour. So like I have a photo on my journey through fear where my, I check it on my palm and my palm was just swollen and had marks all over it because of how much I would check it. So I had a chart that was like a calendar and I would um, circle the days in a row that I didn't check it. And if I got like two days in a row, I'd get a reward. And then five days in a row, a reward. And then I would like build upon that. And it worked. Mm -hmm. Like it worked really well. Um, And the exposure therapy charts worked super well. Um, And I think it was when, when I got back from Malibu, I also... They switched my Lexapro to Trintilix, Trintilix, and I stayed on that for a year, but it didn't help. So I went back on Lexapro. Um, it was probably like 2017. I went back on Lexapro, and with that combined with the exposure therapy, like I just really started getting better again. Um, so I had weaned off. I had my big pitfall. When I weaned off of Lexapro in 2015, and I would say it wasn't until a year later that I was actually starting to improve again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like I remember in June of 2017, we went on a trip to San Diego, which is like eight hours from where I live. And um, it was so bad. I... We did the drive down there. I think I took Ativan to make the drive, like to be able to sit passenger. And then I didn't want to leave our Airbnb. Hmm. I just the thought of leaving, that was like now my safe spot in San Diego. And I didn't want to leave that house. Um, and when I did, I my anxiety was just... I was shaking. I was, my anxiety was just at an eight plus. Um, the only day we actually got to do anything was the day I took out of van and I was like able to relax. Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, I can't even explain how many birthday parties I missed, how many, holidays I skipped, how many trips I missed out on. My husband works, um, he works a lot and he's on call. And so, you know, if he wasn't there to take me, then I just wouldn't go. Hmm. And um, that was really hard. I remember one time he worked all night long. He worked a night shift and he got home at like 10 a.m. and I had a baby shower to go to. But mornings were really hard for me. My anxiety was worse in the mornings. Yeah, and I so hear that. he drove. <laughs> yeah. 
So he drove me to the baby shower after working all night and slept in the car while I attended the baby shower for two hours. Wow. And I remember like a couple of my friends were like, how's Robbie? And I was like, oh, and like, I was kind of like, I, I felt so weird, but I, I didn't want to lie. And I was like, he's good. And he's in the car sleeping and we're only 10 minutes from home. Yeah. So, but I was so scared and anxious that I could not, he couldn't drop me off and leave Yeah. 10 minutes away. And I couldn't handle that. I needed him there so I could escape whenever I felt I needed to. And was the fear there um, surrounding, you know, like you were saying with the blood sugar, was it a sense of like feeling shaky? What were you, you know, what was the main concern in the, in those sort of situations? In the situation of the, like the baby shower? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my main, my biggest fear was passing out. Like that was, so like, if you have low blood sugar, you could pass out. Mm. So that's why I was so obsessed with that. Um, in the mornings I felt like my, my anxiety was just always higher in the mornings. And then I felt like because I had only had one meal for the day, I felt like my blood sugar could be go down easier. Yeah. I, you know, you make up things in your mind. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so sometimes, like, if I had to leave at 10 a.m., let's say, I would have breakfast and lunch together. Like, I'd literally eat my breakfast, and then maybe 15 minutes later, I'd have a sandwich. Just so my mind was reassured that I had two meals in me. Yeah. And my blood sugar would be fine. Hmm. And... Because normally I, I didn't like to leave until after lunch. But if I was forced to, that's how I would kind of manipulate myself to get around it. Yeah. It's having to, yeah. to spin a whole lot of plates in the air at once, isn't it? Like there's so many yeah. things that you have to do in order to be able to do this one small thing and it's exhausting. Yep. Oh, it is so exhausting. And I was just all I was focused on was avoiding and making myself feel better. Um, I just felt so sick all the time. I was constantly my like, I think the line I used to always use that my husband got like really sick of hearing was me saying, I don't feel good. Hmm. I said Same. that <laughs> really? Yeah. I said that all the time. Hmm. Yeah. I don't feel good. Because you don't feel good. There's no part of you that no. feels good. No. Yeah. No. Um, but getting back on Lexapro and doing my exposure therapy, um, the Dare book by Barry McDonough, or is that how you say it? McDonough? I, I think so. <laughs> I'm not too sure. That book, along with Claire Weeks' Hope and Help for Your Nerves, mm -hmm. game changers. Yeah. Um, using the Dare process to get through anxiety game changer. I still use it today. Mm -hmm. Um, I highly recommend that to anyone who has anxiety. And usually when I have anxiety, I just jump right, right to, um, asking for more. Mm -hmm. Like I just give me all these, give me, you know, if I'll be, let's see, I was in the store the other week. I felt really hot. Um, 
and I felt like my legs felt weak. And I just was like, give me more. I don't even care. Make my legs shake. Make me hot. Make me sweaty. I'm not leaving. Like, I know this is anxiety and it's trying to trick me. Mm. And then I use the E, engage, to just continue shopping. Um, So I find that, like, asking for more and then getting mad at it really helps me. Yeah. Um, After... Like in, it was like summer of 2018 when I was 28. I took my first flight since having anxiety bad. And um, I was very proud of myself. I was very excited. And that was like just from there, I just went up and up and up. Yeah. Um, I had been putting off oral surgery for uh, my wisdom teeth for like 10 years and I finally got that done. Mm -hmm. Um, We went on several overnight trips. We redid our San Diego trip and it went amazing. Um, We just did so much traveling and in 2020 with the, with COVID um, we just did tons of local traveling, hiking. I did so much hiking and, you know, exercising was really, a big trigger for me because you get hot, you get sweaty, you don't feel good, your heart rate increases. Yeah. And slowly getting into exercise really helped me too. Um, And then moving my exercise, I always do it in the nighttime because I was afraid my blood sugar would drop if I did it in the morning. And so I did it at night. And then once I got comfortable doing it at night, I switched it to my morning routine And my confidence just really increased with that. Um, And then just recently, so, and then, oh, and so when I got back into the working world, because I was, you know, I did school for two years, did not go to work. um, And then I was like, okay, I'm going to get like a small job part-time And I found a job like literally three minutes from my house at a daycare and um, daycare preschool. And it was like three days a week for like four or five hours. Mm -hmm. And that was the perfect start to exposing me. Like that was my exposure therapy for getting back to work. Mm -hmm. And I did that for like nine months. And then my uh, profession is social work. So then after that, I volunteered at a foster care agency. And I did that for like two months. And then I started applying to more serious jobs. And I took a full-time job um, with behavioral health in my county. And I mean, it was just, there's natural exposures at work. And I just, again, while I was there, I just improved with each week, which each month, um, going to the grocery store used to be really hard for me. And where I worked, I worked at this, um, for behavioral health, I worked for the peer center, which was a center that people with, um, mental health issues could come to for wellness classes and peer support and, um, Usually it was people from lower income. So we had like meals there and stuff. 
So part of my job was grocery shopping for them. And it was crazy because grocery shopping used to be something where I had to do it at night. Mm. Um, It started with my husband being in the car with me. It started with me only buying two items, you know, as my first steps of exposure. Um, So it was crazy because I'd have to go in before work in the mornings. So I'd go at like 8 a.m. And that was amazing for me because I had already climbed my exposure ladder of grocery store shopping Mm. and I was in a good place. And then I go there and now I need to go, you know, every three days in the morning. And that was another exposure. And I did great. Um, (laughs) So good. Yeah. So I was there for about a year and then I decided I'm going to go back and do my master's program. Mm -hmm. And I had always wanted to, but I was extremely nervous for the internships. You have two six-month internships. And to me, this was more serious than getting a job because I'm paying for it and my professional reputation is on the line. So I had put it off because I did not feel confident in the internships. Um. I just graduated with my master's in December, and I did not have a single panic attack. I had no, like, my greatest learning area, like, I learned the most during my internships, and I grew the most during my internships. Um, I did my final internship at Child Protective Services. I don't know what you guys call it in your country. Is there an equivalent? I'm not too sure, but I, I know it is as CPS from all the American TV I watch. So, yeah. Yeah. So I did my internship at CPS and, you know, you're going in. It's a very high stress. It's There's no schedule. I'd go to work not knowing what I was going to do that day. I had to ride passenger mm-hmm. and I still was not comfortable riding passenger, but I went there and I faced riding passenger um, and you know, we drive all over the county. We'd go to strangers' homes. We'd have people very angry at us. Mm-hmm. And that was just, I grew a lot during that. Um, and that was amazing. Um, I have to say, it's and- incredible to think about you know, like you being at a baby shower and having to have your husband outside waiting for you (laughs) to then go to, you know, doing something that is surrounded with trauma and emotions Mm -hmm. and it's so intense and you are able to cope with that. It's, It's incredible the things that sometimes we can't do for ourselves but we can put ourselves in that position for someone else. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I was now doing something that even the average person would have a hard time with. For sure. And and that really reassured me that I was making progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I graduated in December and I flew to Idaho. So that's my third flight, I believe. So flying is still hard for me. Like I take Ativan during flights and then I'm totally fine. But... You know, it's been hard for me to, I've, I see a therapist and I've worked through 
you know, me saying like, I wish I didn't have to take Ativan for a flight. And to me, being recovered would be not having to take Ativan. And she's like, so many people have a fear of flying and take Ativan, take Valium, take whatever to fly. Like that doesn't define your anxiety journey or um, your recovery. So that was really important to me. But it's still frustrating because there was a point in my life where I could fly without it. Um, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll get there. Even when I went to um, my second flight post-agoraphobia, we flew down south. And um, so it was only an hour plane ride. And I took out of van, did really well. So on the plane ride back, I was like, I don't even need out of van. And so I didn't take it, but halfway through we hit turbulence and then I needed it. (laughs) But I feel like that's how I'm going to build up, you know, like just wait to take out a van until like I need it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's how I'll do the exposure with that. Um, But I just got my first career job, like my, my big girl job. Yay. <laughs> it's very exciting. And it's with a mental health, um, a mental health agency. And I'm working on my license right now. I have to do about two and a half years of um, supervised therapy before I can be a licensed clinical social worker, which is I could do therapy after that. I can be a therapist. Mm-hmm. And um, that's my plan. And I really want to work with people with anxiety disorders, panic, agoraphobia, phobias, OCD, eating disorders, mm-hmm. um, and just really um, focus on that. Like, I'm definitely passionate about that. And I feel like exposure therapy is not talked about enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you know, just kind of facing anxiety and sitting with it and accepting it and, um, you know, mainly asking for more of it and just kind of hitting it head on is not, it's just not posed as a solution to it. And I think that it's a, a really big key to healing your anxiety. I um you just kind of brought up something for me that I was I was sort of trying to work through it before when you were talking about um you know acceptance and commitment therapy and going to mm-hmm. um you know that very expensive treatment center. Mm-hmm. I've found in my experience that going to places where anxiety is treated like an illness not that I'm saying mm-hmm. it's not an illness, but where it's treated like an illness, it doesn't um, it doesn't tend to help. Whereas, you know, you read a book by Claire Weeks, you read Dare, uh, and there's this um, there's this sense of simplicity about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not an they don't treat it like this illness that you have to treat or manage. They treat it as uh, you know, like you said, like something that you have steps to take, you ask for more of it, you challenge it, you um, question it. And 
for me, I think that's the difference between the way that we've traditionally been treating anxiety and the way that we need to start treating anxiety. And so you moving forward with a, you know, wanting to do therapy, is there, is there a way that you would treat anxiety differently for your patients as opposed to the way it was treated for you? Oh yeah. I mean, first of all, on my journey to recovery through the medical system, a lot of it was first, it was not diagnosed. Like there was, oh, it was stress, you know, like the word anxiety and panic wasn't used and it was missed for a long time as to what was going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had so many medical tests done to rule out heart issues and, you know, anything else. Um, And then, like you said, a lot of it was to manage it and medication. Although I'm very, very grateful for Lexapro, I also feel like it was the first line of treatment when I wish that exposure therapy and, you know, like the teaching of Derry McDonough and Claire Weeks was the first route of, of um, treatment. Yeah. And I can't agree more therapy. with that. Oh my God. Yeah. And then not, and then therapy and then medication to supplement if I needed additional help. Yeah. Um, I feel like, you know, anxiety, depression, and health um, symptoms are the, um, what's that word, are the side effects of getting off of medications. So when I try to get off Lexapro, I don't necessarily think it's my anxiety coming back. I think that it's withdrawal. Hmm. And, um, to me, that's just really disappointing that to get off these medications, I have to face increased anxiety and I probably have to, the way I look at it is that to get off this medication, I have to deal with anxiety, not from like my brain, but as a withdrawal symptom. And maybe that withdrawal will last a month. Maybe it'll last two months and then I'll get through that and I'll be myself again. But it's like, what are the repercussions of getting through that withdrawal period? Is it going to make my anxiety come back? Hmm. Uh, Is it going to make my depression come back? Is it going to cause me to be depressed and anxious? Hmm. So I just wish that I could have gotten therapy, the right therapy first, and then went through the route of medication. Yeah. It's, it's very often the first thing handed out and I, I feel the same way about it. As much as I support people on medication, like myself on medication, <laughs> it's still frustrating that it's, you know, you go there and you say, I'm feeling a bit like this and they're like, here's a pill. Yeah. 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 And I mean, definitely I would, I think exposure therapy and then like the dare steps will be really huge in how I I address anxiety with clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I love that. Um, there's quite a few guests on the podcast so far that have expressed an interest in doing some kind of, you know, therapy work or, or psychology because they, 
they feel failed by the system and they want to be able to um, share what they've learned and what's helped them heal. So I think you'll yeah. be a wonderful, wonderful therapist. <laughs> you. Yeah, it's so crazy to even be like, so like my position right now is I'm a mental health therapist for kids and um, I work in the schools and I'm just starting. So I haven't actually like, you know, I'm in training right now, yeah. but um, it's crazy to think that I'm at that step where I'm actually implementing therapy now. Yeah. And that, you know, my journey and then schooling, like it, it, Took a long time to recover and to get through school, but it also feels like it was just the blink of an eye. Hmm. And here I am. Yeah. Yeah. I um I wanted to talk about you brought up before the exercise and the hiking. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's something you and I share is this love of of adventure and yeah. nature. Um, and how healing that is. And I noticed a change in you when um when the pandemic happened and you were getting out for, mm-hmm. you know, all these beautiful walks around you. And I think there just, there was this piece about you that, that prior to that um, just hadn't quite been able to get through. Mm-hmm. And so do you, would you um, sort of prescribe, you know, being outdoors in nature as, as something that would help? Definitely. Um, you know, with, everybody's schedules changed with pretty much everyone's schedules changed with, um, COVID. Mm. And what happened was my husband was working from home a lot more and he had more time off of work. And so I had gotten into exercise before COVID and it just made me feel like I could handle my symptoms better. Um, when uh, my heart rate would be up, when I'd be sweaty, I would know why. It was because I was exercising and I knew it was going to come down as soon as I stopped. And I also started to feel myself getting stronger and I felt like I can handle hard things. Like just my confidence in my body being able to handle difficult things began to rise. Mm. So then yeah. when my husband was off of work, um, I wanted to, I love being out in nature. And so I wanted to start hiking. And so we started taking hikes and combining exercise with being outside in the nature. And then also being like a little secluded while being on a hike, you know, you can't just run back to your car really quick. Yeah. Usually. Um, that all combined to just keep raising my confidence in my body and in myself. And, um, and so I would definitely, you know, I think that doing, I see a lot on Instagram, people taking like daily walks and that's part of their exposure therapy. And I, I think that's really huge and I'll definitely have that incorporated into treatment plans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, when I am working with kids, cause I've worked with kids before, um, taking a walk outside and doing therapy while we're walking and just outside of an office, I've, I've seen that to be, um, really helpful. Hmm. It gives you a, a safe place to 
like you said, be in your body rather than trying to intellectualize something that you generally feel you don't necessarily think about. It's not logical. It's not rational. It's, it's feeling. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know about others, but for me, just feeling the sun on my skin, having the fresh air, the nature sounds, and then just the beautiful colors and scenery around me, like that's just super healing for me. Yeah. You have some epic scenery where you live just looking at your Instagram photos. I'm like, oh my God, I want to hike there. Where I live is so gorgeous. I love Northern California. Beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) And we we just got some land where we live. And um, when I'm out there, I just feel peaceful and it's so quiet and I just love it Mm -hmm. I can I can see that in your when you're speaking about it um the question that I ask everyone what would you say to someone or yourself going through the hardest time what would be your advice My advice would, of course, be to not give up. Um, I just, I, there were so many times I wanted to just give up. Um, I definitely just, you know, I didn't want to kill myself, but I didn't want to be alive anymore. Hmm. Um, And I'm very grateful that I didn't give up. So I would tell someone, don't give up. Um, and that you can make changes, very small changes add up to really big changes. Mm. And I think that if you can just take it, break it down to one day at a time and just do one thing to just do one thing different, one thing to change your day, one thing to improve and build upon that each day, um, Get some really good books. Get Dare. Get help, Hope and Help for Your Nerves. Um, just practice. And you, your mind is very powerful. Your mind got you into agoraphobia. Your mind can get you out. Hmm. Um, I, I just, I really have learned that no situation is permanent. Um you can change anything and everything can change. Yeah. <laughs> Good and bad. Yes, the last and two years proves that, hey. <laughs> yeah. So there's just so many times where I've been, especially I feel like depression really makes you feel that way. Like you just feel like it's never going to end. You're never going to feel better. And I've just really learned that there is an end and – by taking action, you know, if I literally just stayed in my bed or stayed on my couch every day, no, like probably not too much is going to change. You have to take some kind of action. The smallest little thing, I don't care if it's waking up five minutes earlier, if it's opening your door and closing your door, like just one small action or just making a goal list, just making a goal list is something like just 
take action and you will start seeing your life change. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, when I, when I started doing exposure therapy for driving, like my first one would be to just go sit in my car. And I think a lot of people see that and are like, that's so dumb. I don't want to do that. You know, and I don't feel like doing that or whatever, but that was like, that's how small you have to break it down to. Even if you just take your keys in your hand, walk out the front door and walk back in, like that's a step towards driving. Mm. And so I think that is just really instrumental in change and moving forward. Yeah. And I, I will, um, I mean, I'll link Ashley's Instagram, but I highly recommend going and checking it out because if you are somebody who, um, you know, likes to know sort of the methodology behind things, I think it really helps to go back through your posts and, you know, cause you, you've posted all of that stuff. You've posted the charts, you've, you've spoken at mm-hmm. length about exactly what you were doing and the steps that you took. And I think, um, there's some really great, great insights there about, um, you know, the timeline and, and how, what those steps can be and how you can, um, you know, build on those. So absolutely go check out Ashley's Instagram. Um, and yeah, I, I love your advice and I'm very grateful that you didn't give up either because yeah, it's lovely being able to speak to you and to, to have you working as a therapist in the world and helping people. Thank you. And I think another thing is like, I don't think I'll ever, everybody feels anxious. You know, it's just like sadness. It's like happiness. It's like excitement. Mm. So I never feel like I'm going to get over anxiety because I'm always going to experience anxiety to some degree. Um, And I think that, oh, my mind just went blank. (laughs) um that happens to me a lot (laughs) yeah gotta love that um I think that like even just um the other week my doctor was like I think you can start you know you're wanting to start to try to have a family let's start trying to wean off of medication I weaned down 2.5 milligrams and I was going to wean down again like two to three weeks later And I was having a lot of crying spells and my anxiety increased and I was just feeling sad. And I decided that it wasn't the time for me. And I went back to my uh, full dose and I'm perfectly okay with that. Mm -hmm. I feel like, um, you know, I'm just, it's, it's a part of my journey and I've accepted it and um, sorry, I keep blanking. Um, and I just feel like it's okay to have setbacks and I'm sure that I have many setbacks coming, but I'm confident that I know how to handle it and how to move forward. Yeah. Well, setbacks is life, right? It's, it's the part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know we're running out of time, but I do want to say too, like, you know, a couple weeks ago I had a medical issue and, uh, health anxiety really came up for me. And 
um, I could feel myself slipping back in. You know, I, I was off of work because I was in between graduation and a job. So once again, I was at home 24-7 and I wasn't leaving much and I was sleeping too much. And then I had this medical thing going on and um, I was I wanted to go run some errands and I multiple times I felt myself being like, I don't want to be away that far from home. Mm-hmm. And what if, you know, what if I panic in the store? What if, what if... And I was telling my husband this on the phone and then I immediately realized I know exactly what I need to do. I need to get dressed and go do that. I need to go leave. I need to get out of the house. I need to go to that store. And I did. And it was really helpful. Like I went to the store and I had a little bit of an anxiety attack. Like it wasn't a full blown panic attack, but I got hot. I got sweaty. My legs felt weak. I thought about fleeing and then I told myself, bring it on, make my legs more weak, make me more hot. I don't care. I'm enjoying my shopping and I'm not leaving. And, you know, that's kind of, those are the type of setbacks I expect to have. I expect anxiety to rear its head and for me to use my tools and feel confident that I know what I need to do and then get through it. And I think just having that confidence that I can get through it is, you know, is really helpful for setbacks. And, you know, that was a couple weeks ago, like three weeks ago. And um, I'm not having those what if thoughts anymore or those fears of being um, too far from home and I'm working again. And so I love that awareness where you're like, I know exactly what I need to do because it's it's so yeah. true that happens to me as well. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm like, I'm doing that thing again. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. And and it's funny because even my husband can do that now. He's like, well, you know, you know, you know what you should be doing this. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, dude, yeah, <laughs> you're right. But that's, I need that's to do that great thing. self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I almost feel like, it sucks that we've gone through so much with anxiety, but it's also a blessing because it helps show me what I need to do when I reach those difficult moments in life in the future. Yes, absolutely. There's an extra layer of um, not just resilience, but like understanding about the way your emotions work and, and how to best um, process those emotions, right? That otherwise we wouldn't have had. Yep. And I'll say that I am very grateful for every moment that I've had with anxiety and everything that I've experienced. Hmm. Um, I wouldn't be the person that I am today and I wouldn't be, I, I don't even know where I'd be if I didn't have anxiety. Um, but I'm happy where I'm at. And I think that it's going to play a big part in my profession and helping other people. So I'm, I'm grateful for it. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Good. I'm glad. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, Thank you. I'm also going to link the books you mentioned just in case anyone listening hasn't heard of them because they are wonderful. Um, And if you, yeah, if you want to find Ashley, she is at Journey Through Fear on Instagram, which will be linked. Um, 
but yeah, thank you so much for, for being so open and honest. Thank you, Lauren. I really appreciate it. And thanks for opening this community and making this podcast so that people can share their journeys and learn from each other. It's really awesome. Pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Us Anxious Folk podcast, the podcast for the chronically overwhelmed, perpetually panicked, anxious folk in all of us if you would like to find more about me you can find me on youtube at lauren rose or on instagram at lauren r underscore rose